Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. This is Behind the Scenes with Brian, and I am Brian, and I am joined today by one of the faculty members from the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Canada, Renato Machota. And Renato, how are you today? I'm very well, Brian. Uh, thank you for asking. And uh, how are you? Yeah, really well, really well. So we're recording this during the pandemic and hopefully everything is going okay with you it's got to be a new experience for teaching students are you in the classrooms or remote teaching uh we are remote teaching at the time and uh we've learned that we will continue our remote format of lecturing for the next term as well okay so uh it's been yeah it's 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 been a little bit of a challenge right uh getting used to sitting in front of a computer and delivering a lecture and you know being able to to use our body language moving our hands around to make sure that they are understanding the concepts but um but but you know it it it, it has some of its some advantages uh we have a few students that uh uh, are, are staying with their families, international students, and also in other provinces, and they are able to attend lectures uh, while at the same time keeping safe with their loved ones, right? Yeah, and it certainly would be a benefit when it's 40 below zero and you don't have to walk across the quad anymore. <laughs> that is very true, yeah. Yeah, I uh, got my master's degree at the U of A uh, many years ago, not, not that many years ago, but uh, um, you know, I've got very fond memories of the campus and the teaching staff as well. So, Renato, are you in the uh, civil environmental department or which department are you in? Uh, yes, Brian, I am uh, an assistant professor uh, with the civil and environmental department. And I am also part of the engineering safety and risk management school. Oh, interesting. So, uh, yeah. And, and just just a little bit of a background for that, and, and, and your listeners might be uh, interested in this as well, is that uh, quite a few years back, and I'm talking about easily 30 plus years, yeah. there was an elective course on process safety. And this elective course was offered to the students in the in, in going for the, their degrees in chemical engineering. But uh, as, as these students matured and became leaders within their organizations, they actually identified the context of process safety course as essential. So they, uh, they lobbied the university into making that course mandatory for uh, 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 chemical engineers and for mining engineers. Hmm. And so it became mandatory for them. But then it started permeating, and it has it, it has evolved to a point where now the University of Alberta is the first university in Canada, in which if you want to get a degree, 
a bachelor's degree in engineering, you have to have this uh, course in engineering safety. Well, that's terrific. And, and, and we teach them aspects from uh, basic risk management, what risk means, uh, what are the components of, of risk in terms of uh, hazards and uh, consequences, to uh, some tools for incident investigation, uh, root cause analysis, field level risk assessments, all the way to, to, to the importance of the culture of the organization and how to make that uh, those uh, uh, organizations uh, risk management systems alive and not just paper exercises, right? So that's actually uh, a big part of uh, what I do here at the University of Alberta, right? So I, 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 I balance my... Uh, my technical research with my research on uh, on risk management and engineering safety. Yeah, that's that's terrific. Let's wind the clock back a little bit more and go back uh, earlier in your days. You're growing up in Peru and, and your uh, college choice after that. Absolutely. You know, um, I, I, I like to tell in the story that uh, my father brainwashed me into engineering. Because I recall as uh, when I would go back to school uh, from vacations, my friends would be showing their pictures of them traveling to Disney World. And uh, at that time it was MGM Studios and such. But I always had pictures of me and my brothers at a construction site, <laughs> right? So, so that's how I got into studying civil engineering. And uh, at the university where I studied, which is the uh, Catholic Pontific University uh, of Peru in Lima. Yeah, uh, they they have a very robust program in both um, structural design and uh, construction processes. By they, but they tend to teach a little bit of everything to their students, and this is uh, because uh, in in developing countries sometimes it's hard to find a specific job in a specific discipline. Mm. So they want really well-rounded engineers in 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 civil in in, in other engineering disciplines. Yeah, right? I see. Okay. So I received a little bit of everything there, including uh, geotechnical engineering. Shortly after I finished my degree, I started working for Canadian-based company Cloncrip and Berger. Yeah, they have an office in Lima. I spent uh, I spent four years of my life there, learning from really uh, uh, very very well-rounded engineers uh, out of Lima and also uh, engineers out of Vancouver. The yeah. Vancouver people were very, very uh, in touch with the people in Lima. So I had uh, the benefit of uh, exchanging um, exchanging words and, 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 and getting wisdom from people like uh, uh, Harvey McLeod and Brian Watts. Mm. Oh, yeah, brilliant and, people. Yeah. And Howard Plews. So I was I was a very, very lucky on that regard. Yeah. So you worked and, mostly uh, in you mostly worked in mine waste management for them? Yes, in Lima at the time, yeah. and still is the case, uh, a lot of their work has to do with mining and in particular uh, mine waste management. Yeah. 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 Then uh, there was the opportunity to come help them at a project here in Alberta, uh, in the old sense. 
yeah. and uh, they asked me where I wanted to to go on my weeks off, and my answer was, well, I want to know the university towns, right? And when they heard that, and uh, Brian and Howard being uh, alumni from uh, from the University of Alberta, they got excited and they 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 got me some uh, interviews here at the university, and that's 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 actually how I ended up uh, doing my coming here for my for my PhD degree. Yeah, that's terrific. That's a really nice story. And who uh, who were some of the professors that impacted you at the U of A? I was very lucky that I received instruction from um, Dave Siegel and uh, Richard Turnick, uh, yeah. Derek Martin. But I have to say that uh, Derek Martin, being my being my direct supervisor, influenced the most on my thinking. And and again, I, I think I have been very lucky on my training because I had the the, the opportunity to work with both Dr. Morgenstern and Dr. Cruden as well as co-supervisors. Oh, so that yeah, was yeah. Um, that 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 was an opportunity for which the word no never crossed my mind, right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and and you know that's actually how I got embedded into this world of uh, risk management for geotechnical structures. Although yeah. I had done a little bit of qualitative risk assessment for some structures when I was working back in Peru, it was through my PhD students and through my. Um, my discussions with uh, Dr. Martin Morgenstern and Kuren that I actually got embedded into into this work of risk management, particularly risk management for uh, natural and, and, and engineered slopes or engineered cuts, right? Yeah, that, that, that's um, amazing. The U of A has always been really good at getting top-notch teaching staff into Edmonton. And I studied under uh, Dr. Morgenstern, also Peter Robertson in just, just as a coincidence, Peter right now is giving a lecture to your uh, alma mater in Lima, and he's talking about the use of in situ testing and liquefaction, specifically on tailings. And I had the honor of giving a, a companion lecture yesterday to the Catholic University uh, on filtered tailings. So it was, uh, it's been a nice experience. Yeah, no, and you know what? That makes me very, very happy that uh, that, that um, my alma mater is being very proactive and, and, and very engaged with uh, the international community and getting really high caliber uh, practitioners like yourself and, and, and Peter for for these lectures. It's uh, feels really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So then uh, let's just talk about what courses you teach. You, you teach the uh, safety and engineering course, but what other, uh, is that for a wide range of departments that you teach that to, or do you teach it to specific departments? It's, it's a wide range, uh, yeah. Brian. And uh, so uh, right now, this term, we have about, uh, I want to say between 400 and 450 students. Yeah. We, we would be expecting about 250 for next term, and we've had up to 100 during the summertime. So it's wow. a team of, uh, we're a team of five professors who are in charge of teaching this course. Right now we have uh, five, uh, no, uh, four lecture sessions 
and each lecture session has to accommodate some of these cohorts from uh, fourth and third year uh, engineer students. So I get a mix of, uh, of, 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 of students from the civils and the uh, chemical, mechanical, computer sciences. Mm. So we, we have had to make this course broad in terms of uh, the concepts, but then start including real, t- uh, sorry, real life case studies from the different disciplines, right? Yeah. Oil and gas, civil, mining, computer. Etc. So it's it's been a little bit of a challenge, but it's been an excellent opportunity for me to learn new things, right? Right. Especially when it comes to other disciplines. Yeah. Right. Right. No, it's uh, got to be a challenge to not have any specific group of engineering the, the jargon to enter into it. You know, the mining guys would be scratching their heads if you're talking about industrial engineering and vice versa. So it's got to be yeah. something of a challenge there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and then other courses that I've been involved in teaching, they include um, the uh, first course in soil mechanics, which I taught last term. And 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 the one that and the one that I really really like is that I have been involved with the capstone design course in geotechnical engineering for the last few years, and that one I I really enjoy because you know that the students that are taking that course are interested in the knowledge of uh, the specifics of geotechnical engineering. Yeah. Mm. So, so they they already arrive with that interest. And, uh, and, and, and because they also have a, a little bit of background in terms of soil mechanics and uh, a preliminary course in foundation engineering, they are ready to run with, uh, with, with, with a proper design, right? And, and that yeah. course is very entertaining because we, we give them, um, it, it's, it's like we are the clients and we give them what our needs are. So they have to develop a site investigation plan. And then, of course, we give them what was really done and we explain them the reason, the rationale behind it. And they have to learn that there's not just one right answer for, yeah. for a site investigation yeah. plan. There's there's a, a, right a range. And then they have to make an interpretation from a geological model towards a geotechnical model, come up with ranges for soil parameters, failure modes. And then they have to start providing us with preliminary hand calculations, advanced software calculations, all the way towards a uh, final design report. So that that one, I got to tell you, it's a very interesting course to teach. Mm, yeah. It's a lot of fun as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I bet. Uh, who, who now teaches the advanced soil mechanics to the graduate uh, level students? Uh, right now, it's been uh, Michael Hendry. He's been teaching uh, that for the last couple of years. Okay, okay, interesting. And what what is your is the soil mechanics your favorite course to teach? Uh, in the undergraduate level, uh, yeah. my favorite course would be the 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 design course for the geotechnical. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Uh, and in in the graduate level, I am teaching right now uh, site investigation. Yeah. Oh. So oh, it's, okay. uh, it's yes. So okay. Yeah. yeah, that's what uh, Peter Robertson taught when I was there. So uh, lots of emphasis on the in situ testing and use of that data as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, part of my research deals with a uh, uh, novel instrumentation and remote sensing. So uh, I've 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 been able to complement what had been built upon the last few years with a little bit of those uh, techniques on. Uh, 
uh, photogrammetric techniques using new software and uh, lidar and uh, radar interferometry from the ground or from from satellites, etc. Yeah, yeah, okay. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because I came across uh, a uh, publication that you produced for the Canadian Dam Association. And it's about dam safety management, the role of communication and culture for tailings dam yeah. failure preventability. And that I think is a really timely publication. Um, and it goes really well with the other guidance documents that have come out. So what what what's inside of that document? Can you describe uh, what it's for and how, how it's used? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, if, if, if I go uh, perhaps a, uh, one or two steps uh, back uh, so oh, that yeah. uh, your, yeah, yeah. Your, your listeners know the, the inception of this. And it is that a few years ago, uh, unfortunately, there was a fatality in the, in the oil sands. Mm. And uh, uh, the, one of the outcomes of this uh, of this incident was that um, uh, the court, the prosecutors, and the defense lawyers got together and they talked to the court, and they said that uh, all the fines that were going to be paid, right, as a result of this incident, they would like them to be leveraged towards better understanding how these type of incidents could be prevented. Mm. So that 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 is what we know of as a uh, uh, a um, ooh, um, creative sentencing. Okay. Yeah. So what they did is that they contacted the university and they engaged uh, two professors, uh, Professor Leftfruit uh, and, and myself, into the, doing some uh, research associated with this because it was in the realm of uh, ground hazards and uh, occupational safety. Right. So part of the work that we did identified that uh, there, there were uh, geotechnical engineers, not just in consultant, but within these organizations that were very knowledgeable of these ground hazard potentials, but that there were frontline uh, workers. Uh, for example, there could be uh, pipe fitters or a, uh, 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 technicians that would have to work uh, adjacent to some of these uh, geotechnical structures, but they had not really gone through uh, geotechnical training or geohazards mm-hmm. training, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, there, there was a gap. There was a gap uh, uh, in between uh, geotechnical knowledge in identifying ground hazards and uh, the day-to-day operations and safety to frontline workers. We identified that gap. And then we identified that uh, the know-how about uh, large-scale geohazards in the industry was very well understood. The potential for small-scale geohazards was well understood. And the gap was in the communication of those small-scale hazards towards Mm. those workers that don't have that training. So that was that was a, an, an eye opener because uh, we we started playing with that uh, hypothesis for a while, but then we 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 proved that through interview process and through a workshop process. But one of the things that we identified was that the safety culture could do with a little bit more enhancing in those regards. Right? Yeah. So that's what actually pushed us to start thinking about. 
uh, how do we fix now now uh, this issue not so much with the day-to-day operations but with the big uh, let's call it the, the big the big uh, in, in industrial facility that is represented by a tailing storage facility right by a tailing yeah tailing yeah storage. yeah so that's 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 what motivated uh, uh, some of these reviews, and also uh, um, uh, motivated by uh, the Canadian Dam Association, which learned about our uh, initiatives in this front, and they uh, they wanted us to prepare something and to share that with the uh, with the industry in in, in the 2019 uh, annual general meeting. So that's how this started. And, um, and ended up in this publication. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, so we started at, uh, looking at uh, all the initiatives that were around the world into trying to fix this problem. Into what has been done for uh, uh, sorry, what 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 has been the performance in the industry, and we uh, and, and 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 we identified that although many of these aspects lie within the realm of uh, a technical uh, the technical world of tailings dams um, in reality the weakness was in the implementation right and, and, and for clarifying this let me give you a couple examples so if we go to the world of the to the world of the Oroville Dam, right? It's yeah. not the, the, the tailings world, but it's 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 mm-hmm. a water storage facility. Yeah. And, and, and in California, it's one of the top, what we understood, one of the top uh, managers and operators in the world. And we and, and we learned what happened in the Oroville Dam, which was that they had uh, high waters, and then there was a, a release through the uh, spillway, and then the spillway had failure, and then bridging and, and, and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Right. What happened was uh, 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 an issue in the communications of the underlying technical reasons, right, that led to that incident itself. So. If we had had all the information in hand and we were looking at them, a a, a skilled engineer would have been able to identify a high hazard under those conditions. Mm -hmm. But that information was not there. It had Mm. been lost in time. It had been lost in translation, right? So it was a weakness. There was a weakness there, not in the technical aspect but in how the risk management system had been implemented. Mm. If, mm. If, if we go now to the world of tailing dams and we go to uh, the Mount Poly failure, right? Yeah, yeah. We know that uh, it, it, it is a very interesting report where we find we learned that there was, there had been identified an overly consolidated layer of, of, of material that under the, the uh, that under the loading conditions at the time had changed it be, its behavior from over consolidated to normally consolidated and therefore poor pressures increased and you know and then the foundation yeah. just let go <laughs> right right um, but if, if if you start dissecting all of this and you start dissecting okay when was the decision made to uh, not include that uh, identified layer as a key component in the design, right? And and, and the consequences that occurred after the, the the big structures lead that lead to the breaching of that section of the mm-hmm. dam, right? Mm-hmm. 
why did we have water being impounded against the body of the dam itself? Yeah, right, right. right. Why, why was the, the, the dam itself being over steepened? when the original design mandated for a less steep design, right? So little little, yeah. little things like mm -hmm. that start pointing towards the development, uh, or sorry, I should say the implementation of the risk management system that they should have had in place. So that's 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 really what drove our uh, our work here that you see in, in, in this uh, document. Uh, mm. and, um, And, and what what we also uh, took advantage of is from that seminal paper from Dr. Morgenstern regarding uh, the context or a framework for tailing stem design construction yeah. operation and closure, right? Yeah. Which is the performance-based risk-informed, right? Safe design construction operation. And, 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 and what, what uh, this framework, uh, in a nutshell, says is that you have to, yes, it has to be risk-informed in the sense that you have to have a good understanding of the potential consequences, the impacts, and what are the uncertainties behind the design, but also the implementation of the structure itself, and performance based in terms of uh, constant monitoring, but not just monitoring for the sake of monitoring, monitoring those key indicators that would tell you that the structure is actually performing as it had been intended in the original design, right? And then the framework goes into details of, uh, 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 of those, uh, the framework guidelines towards making sure that there are not going to be gaps within the uh, uh, the implementation of, uh, of, of that risk management system, which we know as Uh, uh, operating guidelines. We know them as uh, operating maintenance uh, uh, and surveillance uh, manuals, right? We know them as, as, as all of all of these little yeah. names that are jargon of the industry, right. right? Right. Those those are in reality that overall overarching risk management program, risk management system, right? So what we identify was that the trick about that framework was to be able was was on being able to map it to the uh, 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 workflow that us as engineers use for the design of these structures right but more importantly map it in a sense of making sure that the uh, human factors of the human elements within those are well supported in order to avoid uh, uh, those 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 uh, weaknesses in risk communication information communication and and and, and those so that's where the the, the, the these um that's where these uh manuscript or or, or, or article actually starts diving into okay now what's the role of quality of culture in communication within implementation of this framework right and that's why we call from that other research with it with the oil sense where we found that there's some enhancement uh, to do with uh, with respect to a uh, culture of the organizations because it was again very uh, eye-opening uh, to find that there are still workers that are not feeling empowered to bring up uh, issues of concern there are workers that are feeling sometimes afraid of uh, reporting substandard conditions or substandard practices 
so the fact that that's all uh, uh, that that keeps happening, uh, uh, we think that that's in the root of some of these uh, uh, incidents and some. Oh of yeah, and that's that's a made. yeah, and that's a huge matter. I read a book a few years ago. It could have been Malcolm Gladwell, but airplanes have been crashed because of cultural practices, you know, killing scores of people. Yeah. So it's it, it is a real and very important matter. Yeah. So yeah, no, go ahead and, and carry on. Yeah, no. So that's 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 where we developed this uh, this this manuscript, and it uh, it was presented at, again at uh, the annual general meeting last year for the CDA. And the way we illustrated it was with the uh, with with um, what we call the incident pyramid, right? Where we know that there's kind of like a hierarchy of incidents where you have the most consequential incidents at the top, which are those associated with fatalities, injuries. Uh, followed closely by those associated with large environmental impacts, large losses in assets. But then, uh, and, and we know that the frequencies reduced as you increase the consequence magnitudes, right? And at the, at yeah. the bottom of that mm -hmm. pyramid, typically we have those near misses or substandard conditions and substandard practices. So, so we identify that the role of culture and communication actually lies on that base of the, of the pyramid, right? Because the mm. culture is going to help you have an organization yeah. that keeps identifying and reporting internally those substandard conditions and practices. And in turn, when management, when leadership sees those reports, by them taking action, they're going to narrow those the, that pyramid substantially, but they're going to reinforce that safety culture of the organization, right? And and, and so that that that's only going to lead to lowering the chances for a a, a high impact uh, incident, right? Yeah. And and the next step of that is actually identification, identifying those substandard conditions and practices that have the higher potential to lead towards one of these high consequence events. And, and, and if you target those, then you are directly addressing the potentiality for those uh, those uh, high impactful, impactful incidents. Interesting. Uh, the, yeah. Example, yeah, the, the example that would come to mind for me is uh, knowing that if you have um, a, a, a large amount of deformation on a dike, uh, on a tailings uh, impoundment facility, uh, you want your water to be as far away from that dam, right? Yeah. In order to yeah. try to minimize the potential for erosion. So for me, that would be a substandard condition, having water really close to the yeah. crest of your dam. Yeah. That's yeah. a substandard condition that has a high potential that if anything happens, it's just going to generate a runout that is going to be, that's going to far exceed the runout than if you had the water at the proper location, the proper right. extent of the tailings beach and such, right? Right. So that, that, that was some of, those were some of the key messages of this uh, document, Brian. Yeah, and, and maybe we should just clarify that if, if you have a big deformation on an embankment and your pond is close, it might not be the best idea to deposit more tailings in that area to push the pool away. Might be better to draw the pond down than to put more load on it. So it's, it's a complicated thing, so I, I didn't want to leave that uh, <laughs> just hanging there. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, fair, fair enough. Absolutely, it's very complicated, right? Uh, yeah. But uh, we, we we think that we think that uh, we have very very skilled engineers in charge of these facilities. We know that. Yeah. We, yeah. Uh, we think that it's we we are getting to the point where where we have identified cult, um, a safety culture in communications as uh, as key as key for preventing uh, any any of these uh, incidents in the future. Yeah. So, so do you, do you think attacking the base of your pyramid is the the reporting and notifying and noticing the near misses? Do you think everything kind of starts there and as a culture can feed to the yeah, top we, of the pyramid? Yeah, we 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 and when I say we, I, I talk about my co-author Leanne in 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 the team here within the university, both in the geotechnical group and the and the safe and the school yeah. of engineering safety yeah. and risk management, uh, we strongly believe that of course we cannot let our guards down in training uh, engineers properly in the technical aspects. Okay, that that's that's paramount, absolutely. But we have to uh, uh, acknowledge that the human component has taken a key. A key role in uh, the, the, the 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 incidents of these uh, uh, of, of these events, right? Yeah. And the only way to do to deal with that is to assure a robust safety culture within these organizations, and uh, which in turn leads to uh, a robust communication in terms of risk. Yeah. 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 Terrific. Um, and Renato, where would people find this publication? Would they just Google? Uh, CDA and uh, yeah, they, surf if, from if, there. If, yeah, if people go to the uh, webpage of the Canadian Dam Association and they go to publications, they can find uh, past issues of uh, the bulletin of the of the bulletin of the CDA, and uh, this is the most recent one. So, if um, I think this one would correspond to October. And uh, uh, sorry, this one would correspond to fall 2020, so they can find the article yeah. there, absolutely, okay. or they can try they can try and reach me as well, absolutely. Okay, and there is a charge, a small charge for that publication, right? I think. Um, uh, I, I, it, there might be, uh, but again, uh, if if they can reach me for a conversation or uh, and in uh, and I encourage them also if they are in the industry to become members because members have uh, of the CDA have a lot of benefits in terms of accessing past bulletins of the CDA, but also a special prize for the CDA guidelines and communications and and etc. And and CDA is one of the leading organizations in 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 terms of. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, dams in in, in 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 tailing dams, right? Yeah, globally, yeah, it's it's uh, impressive yep. to me how much the world relies on CDA documents for the design, construction, operation, closure of the tailings facilities. You know, with it's always yep, absolutely been that way. If there isn't a uh, more strict uh, regulation or practice somewhere, it's been very easy for a long time just to adopt this CDA um, guidance documents yeah, no matter no matter where in the world you might be yeah absolutely yeah we're not all I'll put a link into that publication uh, with the podcast and I'll put in an email contact for you so if anybody's got any questions for you they can get a hold of you 
and especially if they want to attend the U of A and get their degree in civil or geotechnical engineering. And I would highly encourage that because it's an amazing university and uh, it's a it's a really good school to go to. Just everything about it's fantastic. You know, thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. And yes, I I, I don't have anything but uh, really positive experiences here at the university since yeah, I arrived yeah. in yeah. 2008. Yeah. The, the only negative experience I had, I, I don't remember the name of the class, but it's Continuum Mechanics. And it was for, <laughs> for geotechnical engineers, at least the first semester of that or quarter of that was incredibly difficult. <laughs> Yeah, I remember having to go through one of those as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, Renato, before we uh, depart, is there any words of wisdom or, or any uh, advice that you want to share with us? Uh, yeah, that'd be a great opportunity, uh, Brian. And uh, so what I would like to uh, leave you all with is that uh, most of us embarked into studying engineering and practicing engineering we, because we loved the technical aspects. But we have to remember that uh, us as engineers, we have a duty to society to provide for safe structures. And so we always have to work and put uh, our, 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 our best skills towards making sure that we are not only designing, but also constructing and operating safe structures that being in the mining industry or highways or foundations on, or what have you. Yeah, that's really good advice. That's great advice. And uh, Renato, I want to thank you for coming on this episode. And it's been a pleasure talking to you and getting to know you a little bit better and finding out what's inside of that publication. It's been a nice learning experience for me. Uh, thank you very much, Brian, for this opportunity. I'm, I'm very honored to be in your uh, podcast and uh, I look forward to a, a future conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been my pleasure, Renato. And with that, uh, until next time, I'll say ciao. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rocking.